Hi, this is Pastor Rick. Glad to have you back on demand. I love on demand because it puts the word of God in your hand and you can get it when you want it. So I want you to tune in today as we talk about sexual intimacy. It's going to be a great study dealing with your real issues. And one of the big issues people deal with is sexual intimacy. So this is part two in the study. So make sure you stay with us. It's going to be really good. Enjoy. Deciding to deal with my real issues. Everybody has an issue. The question is, how well do you deal with the real issues? Christians and church people have a way of ignoring the things that really matter in their life. Sometimes we get lost emotionally and mentally in this pursuit to either worship or sing or express some religious devotion to God. But up close, if you deal with us, we're maybe not as good financially as we appear to be. We're not as kind as we appear to be. We're not always as, as um, aware of ourselves. Sometimes it, it takes somebody um, that is not, quote, as spiritual as you to just look at you and say, you have a, you have a problem with truth. Your real issue is you, no one's ever really told you truth. You've been around people who've tried to kind of support you and help you and encourage you. And this whole thing in Christianity about not offending anybody where you just don't tell them the truth, you lie to them. And so sometimes in your life, you have not had anybody, if you've been in church all your life, to really say, that's weird, that's too long. That's not the way you respond to that. You get accustomed to certain behaviors. In our study in the last few weeks, I've been trying to talk about real issues, to take you past the things that, you know, um, you tend to hide. And one of them is sexual issues. When you talk about that, it really gets people uncomfortable because they're not used to dealing with that, especially in church. Most people have never heard a sermon on the topic. They've never heard anybody ever address this issue. There's a series that's on your app. And if you Google it, you can Google it and find it. Ricky Temple and Google bedroom blindness. Can you say bedroom blindness? The whole series I put on the apps for you, and it's right there on our website. You can go listen to the whole series. Several sermons, I think like four sermons or so, where I talk about this in more detail. And I go through the verses, and I give you all these reasons um, why God said for you to abstain from sex prior to marriage. And it also gives you all kinds of um, helpful insights about even how married people can become blind, how families become blind, children become blind. I talk about a lot of things, but it's not a, it's not a series <clears throat> to just make you feel bad it's a series to raise the conversation up a little bit. Your intimate life, and I'm using that term to make it easier for people to hear me say it over and over again. Your intimate life or your sexual life, okay, is really a part of you that most people, <coughs> excuse me, were not properly trained in. There's not a lot of uh, clarity in their head. If you sit them down and say, let's take a test. Let's take a test. Their answers would be very vague um, coded with terms like love, make love, romance, but there's not a lot of awareness. And what's really tragic is we're not honest about what it does to us. So what I want to talk about today, this is uh, part two in the series. You have to go back a couple of weeks to get part one. But w- what I want to talk about is managing my intimate issues. Can you say that with me, please? Come on. Managing my intimate issues. There are two sides to this conversation today. One is wrong assumptions, okay? And wrong, one is wrong approaches. I believe we make wrong assumptions about our intimate issues. We, make, we, we come to conclusions that are just not true. Now, if it was true, I would believe it. 
but it's just not true. And some people have never really even had this conversation at all. They have had intimate contact with people, but they don't have intimate conversations. And so there's a lot of confusion, especially when you cross the bridge and now you're married, right? And now you're trying to figure this out beyond a moment. When you're single, sometimes it's about a moment or an, or an encounter, but it's not about a lifestyle. When you have to have a lifestyle, then it's different. And I also think it's just, um, it's one of those areas that if you don't fix it, it wrecks your whole family for generations. This has been at the core of a lot of poverty, at the core of a lot of um, emotional distress, shame, um, things people can't get out of their heads. They try to, but it follows them in ways that's unhealthy. And so what I want to do today is talk about this a little bit. And I want to begin by talking about wrong assumptions that people make. Now, I almost wanted to say wrong assumptions that religious people make. In a minute, I'm going to take you to Ephesians chapter 6 and 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 13, but that's down the road in just a minute. But let me take you, first of all, to three things, three wrong assumptions that I think people make about their intimate life. Number one, they assume that knowing the Bible, read this with me, please, come on. They assume that knowing the Bible gives you all the information you need. Say it again. Say, they assume that knowing the Bible is all you need to know. Just to summarize, that's, that's the essence of what I'm saying. Knowing the Bible does not give you all the knowledge you need to know about your intimate or sexual life. It doesn't. The Bible was not designed to be a guide in that area. Not totally. The Bible is, it gives outlines and gives principles. But God has a very powerful um, design in our bodies and in the way we work. And it's a, it's a naive assumption to think reading the Bible verses alone is all you need. Number two, they assume that personal, their personal life experiences is all they need to know. What they did, what someone told them about, and as I was coming up as a young boy, things that guys told me, things that people said to me, they acted like they were professionals. And I assumed that their personal experiences were guides for my life, and they were not. Because they only told one side of the story. Thirdly, they assume that media and music are good teachers. And somehow the idea that these people who are in theater or music are somehow great models for you is just wrong. They're just not. They're, they're not the best examples of how to view your intimate life. And if you pattern your life after somebody you see on television or someone you sing about in a, in a song, that is a bad model because you don't know the backside of their life. And so there are a lot of people who've lived all their life dressing like, looking like, sounding like people that they don't know. I, I am always amazed at the other side of celebrity, and I, I wish you can get to know many of them. I wish you could see the other side of their life, the choices they make, the decisions long term, and how those decisions impacted their kids, impacted their finances, impacted everything in their life. Sometimes, and you've even seen recently, careers are impacted by those choices. The intimate choices you make, you can make millions of dollars, and all of a sudden, in one flash of a moment, all of it's changed, all because of an intimate decision you made. That, that moment is not always highlighted in the media. And it wasn't until one day, I, was, I, was, uh, I had a dream years ago. I wanted to be in, um, I wanted to work in one of the studios, and a friend of mine worked there, and he, he was trying to, you know, get me on, and, and it was this whole thing, Burbank Studios back then, and, uh, and uh, I was uh, 
just so excited about it because it paid good. And back then it was all about a paycheck. I was getting ready to get married. I needed some money. And so, hey, you know, I was in college, but this is going to be a good job. I paid $500 a week back in 1980, 79. Everybody say amen. That was good money. I said, Jesus, let me get this job. And I remember uh, <clears throat> they had the strike. If you remember back, they had the big actor strike. So all of that was on hold. And they were fishing. He's kind of saying, well, what would Ricky Temple be good at? You know, maybe public relations. That would have been good, right? Yeah, I can do that. Uh, but editing was what I thought I wanted to do, which was not my calling. I would have been horrible. I am not that guy. Uh, I mean, I can edit my work and edit stuff. I'm used to, I've edited for years in television, but I'm not an editor. I work with the editor. There's a difference. I sit here, tell the editor what I want done, but I am not the editor. Everybody got that? Say amen. But I, I wanted to do it. So anyway, I went one, one of these days when I was at the studio walking around with my friend, and he was kind of, you know, you, you get on the lot, and he takes you in the back lot, and you see movies being made. It was really exciting. It was really great. Great dream. But one day I was walking through a set, and it was a big bed in the middle, and it was a Chevy Chase movie or something, and, and nobody was in the bed, you know, but uh, they had just left for lunch or whatever. And I remember walking around the set thinking, this is so phony. This is not what it appears. These are all paid people. Can you sit up with him, please? Come on. These are all paid people. Say it again. Come on. These are all paid people. These are all paid people. This, none of this is real. All this is fake, phony. Three or four people standing over camera. You kiss somebody you don't know. You just met them before, the, before you start shooting. I mean, this is amazing. This is not real. They don't even know each other. They don't even like each other sometimes. They're just getting paid. You take all your clothes off, you kiss somebody, and you hug them because you get paid. That's what this is all about. It's all fake and phony. Totally phony, totally, totally, un- unbelievably unreal. And so it, it, in my head, I have to realize that media and all the stuff you're seeing that portrays to you what intimacy is, is all about money. It's, it's not real. It, it, yeah, well, they're telling a story, yeah, but it's not a true story. It's not the whole story. And so if you're not careful, you pattern your life after what you think is real. Even songs you sing sometimes. And you just, you don't realize how much this stuff is in your head. And how, how you, you know, you, 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 go, you pretend, but it affects you. I was, in a, I was in a grocery store, and I probably shouldn't say this out loud, but I was in a grocery store. And so, I was saying, this was some time ago. This is maybe, yeah, some, some time ago. And uh, it was not this year, okay? Anyway, so I was in the grocery store, and I w- the song came on, and I was just singing, da, da, da. It was sexual healing. I said, oh, Jesus, I can't Father, I bind the devil. I cast it from me. I <laughs> see, you know the song. That's why you're laughing, see? Ha, ha. But see, notice, notice how, you know, Marvin Gaye and that great voice, you know, you go, oh, before you know it, you're singing all kind of stuff and don't know what you're singing. And the reality of, of life, the reality of his life, the reality of what that led to and the reality of all the dysfunction, it, it, if you look at it up close, media is not a great place for you to go and learn. What's really quite fascinating is supposed to be learned at home. Families, are, that's where you go and learn. You say, Which, yes, you, not me. And here's what I think is amazing. There's what I call now really wrong assumptions that families have towards physical intimacy. Families assume that they should delegate this to somebody else. That it's somebody else's job or responsibility to teach your kids or teach you. If you didn't learn it from your family, you didn't learn it right. And I'm not talking about abuse. I'll talk about that in a minute. That's the wrong way to teach. But I'm talking about family. a family's responsibility is to communicate what, how your intimate life works. And it should be in a healthy, not just a negative way. Secondly, families, watch this now, 
sometimes, if they're not careful, they only speak about it when it's negative. They only talk about fornication, adultery, lust, or pregnancy. Well, don't be pregnant. It's all I know. Just don't bring no babies up in here. Is that all you got to say? Bob said, flee fornication. Okay, what? Well, is there any positive sides to this conversation? And then you don't like people to ask you any questions. For example, well, well let me ask you and mom and dad about, don't ask no, no about nothing. No. Did you ever, no, that's, that's the wrong question. It started out wrong. Did you ever? No. Don't ask that. When did you win is a bad beginning. Don't ask no wins. How old were you? No, how old I was nothing. I was, that's a grown person's business. See, no, so all your kids are blocked from any conversation. You do no teaching. It's a delegated job to somebody else. And so they have to pick it up in the media. And here's what you're afraid of. You ready? They'll know you. They'll learn you. They'll learn something about you. And there's this incredible, almost dishonest thing we do. We only speak of it in negative terms. As if God created a bad thing. He didn't. Sexual intimacy is not a bad thing. It's, it's, it's a distorted thing. It's like trying to breathe underwater. It doesn't work that way. It works this way. It doesn't work over there. That's phony. That's not true. If it were true, we should all do it. There are places this belongs, and there's a beauty to this if it's handled properly. But because we can't deal with our real tough issues. We, we don't know where to place this. We don't know how to communicate. We struggle saying, here's where I am, God. Here's where I am. And then who do you talk to about this? You get with each other. Can we talk about, um, you know what? No. You can't. You can't share your struggle. So you tend to call it you know what, and you tend to just not know what to say. And that's how you see Christians wander off and get lost. What's really sad is sometimes they, they go around people who are not church people where they can talk freely, where they can share their thoughts. It shouldn't be that way. You should be able to come home to your, fa- your family. I love the Song of Solomon. It's really a great book. People like, you know, whenever we want to get really liberated, we say, well, you know what the Song of Solomon said? And it's, if, you ever, if you haven't read this part of the Bible, uh, especially in a modern translation, hold on when you read it. Take a deep breath. When I first read it, I said, is this in the Bible? I said, oh, Jesus, this has got to be wrong. It was amazing. The stuff he said, which I'm not going to say today, but here's the powerful part about it. Now, some of you, that's the first thing. I got to go read the Bible. You can go read the Bible. <laughs> you go look it up. But if you read it in the modern translation, it is powerfully straight, honest, on open. And it says that this is not wrong. But there's a place for this, and there's a reason for that. And family is the place where you should learn that. That's not somebody else's job. Also, I want you to notice under the, the theme wrong approaches, the delegated, that's the wrong approach. They only speak about it in negative terms. And number three, they rarely face their physical intimacy history. They rarely look at themselves and say, what is my tendency in this area of my life? What do I tend to do? When I date, what are my tendencies? What are my habits? And number four, they judge others who have made bad decisions. This need to somehow bash people who have made what you define as bad decisions. This need to somehow uh, act as if you don't know how they can make those choices. And if you're honest with yourself, 
I, I am so compassionate when I see people struggling in this area of their life. Because I, I get it. How you get it, Pastor Ray? None of your business. I get it. No, no, no. No, let me, let me be honest. There's no way, <laughs> there's no way that you can live in flesh and not struggle with it. There's no way. There's no way that they're not confusing seasons in your history. And if you, if you can embrace the truth, you can grow healthy. But if you cannot, a lot of preachers get in trouble because they lie to themselves. Just tell the truth. No, I'm not calling them to pray with them. That's not true. I'm attracted to her. I'm attracted to him. Tell the truth. Our, our marriage relationship is struggling. Tell the truth. Why? Because we won't talk about it. My kids are struggling, and, they, and I know my daughter's struggling. Look at what she's wearing. Look at how she's talking. Look at the guy she's with. You're scared to ask. You need to ask. You need to sit down and talk to her. Talk to him. You need to help them understand how, and not, not from a condemning, act like you don't understand their passion and struggle perspective. But you need to come at it with a clear sense of, I get it. And also what they do is they, they, they use the Bible as a, as a weapon to rebuke rather than to build people. You find all the verses that talk about it being, quote, not healthy, you know, all the fornication verses, all the adultery verses, and that's all you know to say. And the Bible becomes a weapon, not a, not a place for discussion. And then, I, I love this. I don't love this part. I'm sorry. I said it wrong. They, they, they approach intimate sexual tragedies as if they cannot be overcome. I think that's a mistake. When you go through a sexual tragedy and there are people who've gone through them, when I talk about this issue, there are people who listen to me and they have, they, they have one thing to say. This is awful, Pastor Rick, this whole topic. I have been abused. And here's what I want you to understand. First of all, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1 through 4. Here's what the Bible says should, should happen. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. right. Under number two in your notes. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment, with promise that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. Most parents love those first three verses. Listen to me, do what I say, do what I say, listen to me. But that's not your role. That's not the only job you have. Here's the big part of your job. And it starts with the fathers. You fathers do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. Your job is to train. Your job is to admonish. Your, go- your job is to guide. I am a trainer. I'm not just a rebuker guy. I'm not just somebody who's trying to scare some guy off from seeing my daughter. That's crazy. That's not my job. My God's job is to train. My job is not to be insensitive. My job is not to be mean. My job is to train. Now, here's the question. Are you as a parent training? Do you see that in this intimate area of your life, when we talk about sexual intimacy, are you training? What does your training manual say? What have you taught? That's the job of a parent. And and in training, your job is to be honest about opportunities to save them when they've gone through abuse. Now, I want to tell a story that I think is a phenomenal one because... I think so many people have gone through um, horrible experiences and tragedies and families have ignored them so long that those families have missed opportunities to heal people in this intimate side of their life. Let me say it again. 
There are people who've gone through tragedies and families have missed opportunities to help heal people who've gone through this. I have prayed for my kids since they were little about this area. Father, protect them. You do your best, but the statistics are staggering. The number of people that are abused, both men and women. As a matter of fact, some say if you include the sexual abuse of men in prison, it's, it's, it's similar to, and statistically, the number of women who are abused. It's huge. And so when people hear this conversation, they hear you, pastor, they hear me, but on the other side, they're saying, but man, my story is dark, dingy, and painful. I will never say how this happened to me. I mean, there are people who will never publicly say that or even privately say that. And there's a story that is profound, and I'll read it to you in a minute, Second Samuel chapter 13. But let me read a quote to you from a book I read recently, a book I'm, I'm not a big fan of, but it's a book that's interesting. I, so I put it in here because, yeah, you know, you don't have to agree with every author on every point, but what she says in this story is phenomenal. Here's what she said. The first thing my father said to me when she told her father about being abused sexually, where, what were you wearing? What were you wearing? I just screamed, does it matter? I was very angry that he did that. That was the second time I've ever yelled at my father in my life. My parents said, here's what her parents said, that my father's a pastor. And according to the Bible, a pastor is judged by his children. And so my having done this reflected badly on him, which I don't think I can do justice to the feeling I had then in that moment. But obviously it was horrible. She said, she said this, equating survivors' actions such as drinking, in Laura's case, because she was drinking, but equating um, actions such as drinking, in Laura's case, and perpetrators' actions, the guys who abused her, such as assault, it's called, repeat this with me, please, say sin leveling. And it's often categorized as a form of spiritual abuse. In other words, she said that there's this tremendous tendency to somehow justify a guy abusing me with what I was wearing. No, that's sin leveling. You're trying to level the playing field. No, he's wrong. That was the wrong thing to do. I don't care where I was. It's a book called Pure, by the way. It's called Inside the Evangelical Movement that Shamed a Generation of Young Women and How I Escaped It by Linda K. Klein. Now, I don't agree with what she says in her book. I read her book. I don't agree with a lot of her arguments. You can read it if you want to. It's all good. But I'm just saying I don't like her ultimate conclusions. But I thought her experience was amazing. A PK. A place where she should have been protected in her mind. And here's what she said. No, I want my real name out there. I don't want any hidden names. I want you to know my name is and here's my story. And I think it's powerful when you think about how sometimes church people, religious people, don't embrace people who've gone through intimate challenges, assaulting challenges. And there's a story in the Bible that says to 2 Samuel chapter 13, 
It's one of the stories I don't like in the Bible, but it's a story that tells a story that I don't want to miss. And here's what I want you to see. The reason I'm reading this to you is because I want you to see how families can miss it. And fathers, I want you to pay close attention. You can miss it. I want you to see how you can miss this. And because you don't pay attention, things can grow in your house and grow in your life that are highly dysfunctional. And it's, 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 it's the ability of a family to, to face the tough issues. We've got an uncle who comes by. He's my brother, but he's got a problem. And he makes my daughters uncomfortable. Period. Period. We have a, I don't care who it is. It, it, could, be a, it could be an aunt. It could be your sister. It doesn't matter who it is. It could be a friend. Here's, the, here's what I want you to think about in this story as I close. There is a, are, are you ignoring what's obvious? You come to church, you read the Bible, but you're not paying attention. You have lost your way in this area of your life. God, I see it. Good God, I see it all the time. Traveling all the time and planes all the time and and hotels all the time. Man, I'm there all the time. A couple times a month, I'm there all the time. I'm there all the time. By myself, nobody around. I could be crazy. I could be a phony hypocrite. It's that easy. How are you? Fine. What do you do? Well, Well, I'm just here working. Really? Okay. Wow, want to eat lunch? I ain't doing nothing. That's fast. Really? You don't know me? You'll preach? Oh, please, I, wanna, I got some Bible questions. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Married, single, doesn't matter. Nothing matters. Doesn't matter. That close. I mean, it, it's the, the whole of my life is always before me. What do you want to be? Who do you want to be? What do you want to, what are you courageously willing to fix? Home ownership is amazing because there's always something broke. <laughs> fence. Storm come down, knock my fence down. <laughs> woodpeckers. Woodpeckers. Got up on my roof. Pecking. Peek, peek, peek. $5,600 worth of damage. Woodpeckers. Me a gun, shoot them down. That's illegal. I can't do that. Woodpeckers, woodpeckers, woodpeckers. But can I courageously fix it? Can I courageously look at my life and say, this is not right and that's not right in my attitude in this area of my life, especially when it's an intimate area that's powerfully personal? You're out of control. You are out of control and you have not faced it. This family, we're going to read about real quick here, was out of control, and it's David's family. It's King David. Here's what I think I love about the Bible. God tells it all. He says, I'm going to expose it. I'm going to tell it because I want you to see. You can be a, listen to me carefully, you can be a good person with a bad intimate challenge that you will not face. You have somehow sanitized it and made it okay, but you are not leading in this area of your life. 
You got it in some holy bowl and pretended it's okay and you got it all wrapped up in the corner. But the truth is, 2 Timothy 12, 13, here's what it says. After this, everybody say after this, come on. Okay, this is under a missed opportunity to lead. Watch this now. After this, after this, after what? Well, after David had fallen with Bathsheba in chapter 11 of 2 Samuel. After David had been confronted in chapter 12. After all of this was exposed, that his sexual behavior had gotten out of control, it was exposed. Everybody knew about it. It was a talk of town, all CNN, Foxes on everything. And so here's this guy now. After this, Absalom, the son of David, had a lovely sister. This is important now. Absalom had a lovely sister whose name was Tamar. And Amnon, the son of David, loved her. Now, remember, David had multiple wives, which is another conversation. God has this way of waiting for us to grow. He doesn't force us to change. That was not God's will or plan. But throughout history, God allowed man to slide one way, and he guided them back, but men could choose, and this was the cultural choice they made. So now he's got, he's got multiple wives, and he's got Tamar and Absalom, who have the same mother, and he's got Amnon, his oldest, his oldest, a separate mother. And so now the Bible says something incredible that Amnon fell in love with his sister. Wow. I call that misplaced feelings. I didn't say it wasn't a feeling. I say it was misplaced. You have to identify that in, your, in yourself. I don't have the right to, to do that. I may feel whatever I feel, but that's not a good feeling. That's wrong. It's misplaced. And so here he, got, he is now in the middle of this misplaced feeling. 2 Samuel 13, 12. But she answered him. No, my brother. He approaches her. No, my brother, do not force me, for such a thing should be done, for, for no such thing, rather, should be done in Israel. Do not do this disgraceful thing, and I, where could I take my shame? And as for you, you'll be like a, one of the fools in Israel. She tries to reason with him. I won't read the rest. I didn't write it all down for you. But if you read the whole story in 2 Samuel chapter 13, he abuses her, and when he does, it's horrific. David hears about it, and this is what I want you to notice for a minute. Second Samuel chapter 13, verse 21 is the only verse that gives David's response to what happened to his daughter. Be clear. The only response given. Here's what he said. When it said, but when King David heard all these things, read this out loud with me, please. Come on. He was what? Very angry. That's it, period. Okay, you mad. Did you do anything? No. Did you call Amnon in? No. Did you do anything? No. Okay, so you're upset, but what did you do? You see it, but what did you say? That's what I want you to see. Missed opportunities. And so this missed opportunity now grows into a horrible mess. Here's what happens in families when you don't face things. It gets worse. And here's what the Bible says in 2 Samuel chapter 13, verse 28. Now Absalom had commanded his servants, saying, Watch now, when Amnon's heart is merry with wine... And when I say to you, strike Amnon, then kill him. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. This is, what, this is what her brother tells him. Do not be afraid. Have I not commanded you? Be courageous and valiant. So the servants of Absalom did to Amnon as Absalom had commanded. Then all the king's sons arose, and each one got on his mule and fled. Wow, what a family mess. Here's why. It's because it wasn't confronted. It's an amazing story to me. Deciding to deal with my real issues. 
my real family issues. Come here, man. Can we talk about this? If you read the whole story, I always found it fascinating because what's really amazing is Amnon went to David and said, hey, um, you know, could you have my sister Tamar bring me some uh, soup? She can really cook, you know what I mean? I'm thinking, uh, help me understand this, dude. Excuse me. We got maids, servants, and cooks. (laughs) Why do you need my daughter to cook for you like she's your servant? Help me get that. You sick, get better. Sometimes you're not paying attention. Are you paying attention? Are you, are you, pay, what do you, okay, you feed everybody. And they're dying, so what? You're there, okay? Yay for your presence. Are you attentive? What size shoes are your daughter wear? When last time you bought her some? When last time you took her anywhere? When last time you took your boy anywhere? Are you paying attention? Well, they're grown. I don't understand that, but are you trying? Where are they? Have your kids ever been abused? Do you know? Do you want to ask? No, because I'll kill him. Okay. Okay. Don't ask then. <laughs> don't ask. But I want you to just notice something for a second. Notice, notice you can be out of touch and don't even know it. You can see an attitude in somebody and don't know why they like that. You don't have a clue why that person acts that way. And they live in your house. I'd rather know. I'd rather know and help. Why should you drown and you sleep in the bedroom next to me? Why should you drown in lust? And I can't talk to you about that. We have two lives sometimes. The life in front of our friends, the life in front of our family. We have these lives, multiple lives we live. The challenge for me, and I close with this, is to be honest with myself. I've been preaching, I figured this out today, 44 years. Wow. Isn't that amazing? 44 years I've been preaching. Since I was 17 years old. That's when I preached my first sermon. A three-minute sermon. That's my first sermon. A practical chat. <laughs> amazing. And 44 years later, it's amazing how I look back and I, I see the power of being honest with myself. For some of you, being honest is hard. For some of you, being honest is a difficult journey. It's difficult. I think you're ashamed of your intimate life, ashamed of your intimate journey. I've, I've, heard, I've heard so many stories of how painful it is. But here's what you have to do. You have to have faith enough to face the facts. And then you have to say to yourself, I need to fight this fear. I can't live in fantasy. This has been bad for me. Bad for my children. I need to get healthy in this area of my life. I can't keep living this way. I can't ignore the pain of my daughter who's been abused. 
I can't ignore the, I can't ignore. I have to have some hard conversations. Come here, man. Look, bro. You can't, you can't come here and look at my daughters like that, bro. Come on, talk to me. You understand that's uncomfortable, right? I'm sorry, man. No, I'm just trying. I understand you're trying, but you can't do that. It's got to be a safe zone here. You leave all that out there. If you're going to be here, if you're going to be here, that's my brother. That's my, I, don't care if it's, I don't care who it is. Be your daddy. At some point in your life. I didn't say go start a fight. I said face the facts. Okay, don't face them. Live in fantasy. And watch the results. Families tumble and fall apart because nobody faces the facts. I told God this. I may not want to know the truth, but please help me know it. Because the Bible says you shall know the truth and the truth shall do what? Set you free. I want you to stand on your feet with me, please. I, I just need to end this. I, I can talk for a long time. I'm done. No series will ever conclude this topic, and I didn't cover everything I even wanted to say, but I said enough. I said enough for this season. I'll come back to this another season down the road. Go listen to the Blood Room Blindness series. That's a great series. I said a lot in that series that will cover beyond what I said today in the last two sermons. Lift your hand with me. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for all that's been said today. Uh, we've gone around a lot of material today, and, and we've talked about the, the whole idea of assumptions that people make and, and how sometimes these assumptions are just wrong. And we talked about the responsibilities of families and how families can, can ignore the pain in their own house, the abuse that's happened, and how David missed a great opportunity. Father, help us not miss a great opportunity. I pray for you to heal hearts today and, and restore minds and lift people's hearts to a new place. I ask you in Jesus' name to bring healing to your people's lives. With every head bowed, every eye closed, and I want you to just, for a moment, just listen to this prayer. Father, I pray for people in this room and both those who are watching at home who are on demand, who would say, I need Jesus in my life. What, what Pastor Rick said is a, it's really a powerful moment for me to say, if I truly am a follower of Jesus in my intimate life, it needs to look like I'm a follower of Jesus. And if I'm struggling, Lord God, people that are struggling in this area, I pray for healing in their minds and hearts. I pray they leave this place transformed. I pray they leave this place healed. And I pray that they would leave this place knowing that Jesus loves them and that he's not judging them and he's not condemning them. He's simply saying, I want to lift you out of this bondage into a better place. I want you to be able to look at men and women with, with a pure heart and mind and not, not see everybody as a conquest. I pray, Father, in Jesus' name, that this would not just be some religious exercise in their life, but up close it would be genuine and true. And so, God, I give you all the praise and glory in Jesus' name. I want you to look at me for a second. I'll tell you one last thing. I, there's a sermon. You can Google it. It's online. If you, if you Google Pivot 2018, if you Google Ricky Temple Pivot, P-I-V-O-T, 2018, there's a sermon I did at the last men's conference. And I taught on the woman at the well. And there was a comment I made in that sermon. I just, um, I was so, man, that thing really touched. It touched me. Jesus spent all this time with the woman, talking to her about all kinds of things. And at the end of the conversation, she said, I've never heard a man speak like this man. He must be the Messiah. When women talk to you alone, what do they leave with? Are they inspired? Where, what, what, is the, what is the testimony that that man has when he's with you? 
Does he get the feeling that you're trying to hit on him all the time? That's the main purpose. A moment. Is that what you're looking for or a life? When you talk to me alone, my prayer is you'd leave and say, that was a great experience. You say, Pastor, can I ask the question? Is there time to hit on somebody? Yeah. How you think I got Diane? <laughs> but it's not every time and everybody in every circumstance any old kind of ghetto way. Can I say, can I get an amen to that? Come on, amen. You hear what I'm saying to you? There's a right way. I pray you will help out today's study, and I pray this whole series helped you deal with your real issues. Sometimes it's hard to look at your life and say, I'm having some issues in this area of my life, especially when it's an intimate sexual area. And I want you to know that God cares about you, and I hope this helps you today in your time together. If you have any questions, you want to ask me more questions, feel free to email me at pastor at overcomingbyfaith.org. That's pastor at overcomingbyfaith.org. So I heard your series on sexual intimacy, and I got a question for you. So send it out. Love to respond to you. My name again is Pastor Ricky Temple. Let me pray for you. Father, bless those who listen today. Let this be a blessing to them. Let it inspire them to grow and learn. And may they find peace in you today as they work through this area of their life. In Jesus' name. Amen. It's been fun. I'll see you next time right here. Hopefully, maybe in person sometime. If you want to come see us, we'd love to have you visit us. But if not, I'll see you next time on demand. Have a great day.